Open up to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 13 through 16 this morning. And and as you're turning there, I, I want to maybe compare an experience of mine growing up with, with you and just to see if, how do I phrase this? If I'm weird, I guess? Yeah, well. <laughs> or if you're weird. So, so we had a room in my house. Actually, we had two rooms in my house that we were not allowed to use. It was the dining room and the living room. Which is ironic. Like, we lived in our house, but we were not allowed to go in the living room. Anybody else have this? Like a room that you just weren't, yeah? Did you? I don't know. Is it a cultural thing? or So, you know, because my mom always said, that's for guests. And I thought, but guests don't live here. Shouldn't it be the visiting room? Like, it's the living room. We should be able to live in it. And see, the hardship was in our house, the living room was by far the nicest room in the entire house. It had beautiful views out the windows. It was a gigantic room, had a massive, really comfortable couch in it. It was really, really old and, and a weird yellow color. But it was, it was very comfortable, had the nicest furniture, had the nicest decorations. So we weren't allowed to go in there as kids. And we didn't use our dining room growing up either. That was only for guests. And the, the irony there, too, is that my family really never had people over. <laughs> so I was always very confused as a child. Now, to top all that off, we did chores, dusting, vacuuming windows, right? And, and guess which rooms got the dustiest? The living room. So every... I don't know how often we did chores. It wasn't once a week. But whenever it was, we'd go in and we'd have to clean this humongous, beautiful room and then leave and never go back in. Isn't that weird? You would think the point of a living room is to be lived in. So I actually made a vow when I grew up that we would never have a room in our house that was unable to be used. We, We use our living room. It's one of the main places we hang out. We eat in our dining room. That's mostly because we would never fit in an eat-in kitchen with, with four kids. But we've always had to eat in our dining rooms as a family. Uh, and, and I just love that. We use the rooms for the purpose that it is used for. And if you come over to visit, you're just participating in our life. Like, you're just coming into that. Now, what does that have to do with the passage? It has to do with purpose. This is a passage about purpose. We have a purpose as Christians. And we have to ask ourselves if we are just a room that is looking beautiful, looks like it's ready for its purpose, but never actually fulfills it, are we going to be people that are living for the purpose for which we've been saved by Jesus Christ? Now, before we get into the passage, this is a very famous passage as part of the Sermon on the Mount, which is um, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. The passage here is, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. You're probably somewhat familiar with those verses. You've heard those phrases before. We need to put this in context. I've called, so we're we're going through Matthew, and I've called the series on Matthew, The King Has Come. But now we're in the Sermon on the Mount, so it's like we're in a series within a series, right? Okay, I know that's weird, but so you'll see that the, the sermons are called Kingdom Living Part 2. So all of the Sermon on the Mount is about living in the kingdom of Jesus Christ as representatives of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, even though we are living here 
in this world right now? How do we live out the purposes of Christ's kingdom? So that's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. How does Christ's kingdom change us and how do we live that out in this world? Last week, we looked at the very beginning of this sermon, which are the Beatitudes, verses 3 through 12. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. And he goes on all through these ways that we are individually and very personally blessed for living in a right relationship with God. Now, the Beatitudes could be seen as kind of a way that privately we relate to God. And we talked about some ways that it has to do with how we show mercy to others, but it's it's a very personal passage about how we are blessed by God. And it might be tempted, and I think, or we might be tempted, and I think some Christians fall into this trap of thinking, my faith is private. It's a very personal, very private thing. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16 shows us that kingdom living can never be a private issue. We have a purpose, and that purpose is a very public purpose. So let's look at the passage. I'll put it up here on the monitor so you can see. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So Jesus is going to use two illustrations that really go hand in hand. One is salt and one is light. Now, sometimes I I walk through a passage verse by verse. We're going to kind of look at the whole passage from a few different angles. That's how we're going to deal with this one. So what is the purpose of salt and light? And it starts with their identity. Look, Look at the very first words there. You are. Now, who's he talking to? There's a crowd gathered, definitely, but the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. The crowd is there and they are like eavesdropping on this sermon, but Jesus is speaking to his followers, his disciples. Applies to everybody, but that's who he's targeting. So when he says, you are the salt of the earth, he's talking about followers of Jesus Christ. And notice he doesn't say you should be. I think that's a huge distinction. Hey, try harder to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. He's saying, no, by being a follower of me, by being a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are inherently, by your very identity of being saved by Jesus, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The reason I think that's important is that this is not a standard to live up to. It's an identity to understand. Salt is salty. Mind blown, right? I mean, like, what are you talking about? This is advanced physics here. Salt doesn't have to work hard at being salty. It just is. Light shines. It doesn't have to work hard at it. It is in its nature to do so. 
And so Jesus is talking about something that should be natural for us as Christians as part of our identity in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is telling his disciples, this is your mission, your purpose in this world. Now let's let's look at salt, all right? So verse 13 deals with salt. Salt and, and commentators have looked at this from so many different ways, and I don't know that there's one right answer. What exactly about salt is he talking about? Some say, well, salt was a flavoring, and that's true. Others say, well, salt was used when an army would come through and they would salt the fields so that nothing can grow. I don't think that's what he's talking about here. I think the primary thing he's talking about here was salt is not so much flavor, but preservation. They didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have freezers. Their only way of holding on to meat after it was butchered was to salt it. And once, now, I don't know anything about these things, okay? But my understanding is once the meat is salted, it's good for quite a long time. I don't think forever, but a few weeks or months at least. Anybody know anything about salting meat? A few? What's that? Well, that's true. On ships, they could last for a long time. Now, that's not to say it tasted great when it came out, but it lasted, right? It lasted. It was a preservative. What would happen if they didn't salt their meat? It would rot. It'd be worthless. So how are the followers of Jesus Christ to be salt of the earth? What's he mean there? Jesus is saying... That we as Christians, by living for Jesus Christ, have a preserving effect in this world. Which tells you something about the world. What is the natural tendency of this world? It is to rot. Corruption. To fall apart. Why? Because of sin. Right? Me would be fine. Again, I'm no bio, you know, scientist or anything, but... If there was no bacteria in the world, meat would probably be okay. But there is bacteria. If there was no sin in this world, the world would be fine. But there is sin in this world. And so the world has a tendency to devolve and to rot. Another way of saying that we should be preservatives against sin in this world is to say this, if we don't live for the kingdom of Jesus Christ as Christ's followers, the world rots more quickly. Ouch. Now, I'm guessing none of us would have a problem with saying the world is struggling and and there's some rot in this world, right? I, I think all of us, we could all tell stories personally and in our society, we could point to news articles. We accept that. But this kind of makes it personal. This puts it on us. I think as Christians, we are very quick to point out the faults of the, the faults of the world. And that's good to a point. There's a lot of fault there. It's, it's good and appropriate to recognize that sin is sin and to call it as such. However, if we truly understand what Christ is saying here, we need to understand that we bear some blame as Christ followers for how quickly the world is falling apart. Ouch. Now, now be careful. 
does a lack of salt cause the meat to rot? Think about that for a second. And I'm going to say no. It's the bacteria in the meat that causes it to rot. Does a lack of Christian witness cause the earth to rot, cause society to rot? No, it's people's sin. The sin is there and that's not our fault. But we have a mission to enter into that messy situation through living for Jesus Christ, for being the salt of the earth, to be a preservative influence in this world. If we live for Jesus Christ, we should have an impact on this world to look or to work against the effects of sin. Now let's look at light. Matthew chapter 5, 14 through 15. This one is a little bit, I think, more obvious for us to understand. We experience this whenever we walk into a dark room. And, and you flip on the light switch and you're good, right? You walk in, you can't see a thing, turn on the light, and now you can. And hopefully you're not going to stumble, stub your toe, whatever it is. You can find what you're looking for. As a kid, I was deathly afraid of the dark, just terrified of it, probably a little unnaturally so. I would go to bed and my parents would say goodnight and they, 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 they didn't allow us to have nightlights. I don't know what it was. We weren't allowed to have a nightlight. We weren't allowed to sleep with a light on. Maybe they thought they would cure me. I don't know, but it did not. I had a reading light and as soon as the door would shut, I would turn it on. Now, if my parents saw that it was on, I would get in trouble. So my reading light, I think I've shared this story before. My reading light, it had one of those shades that clipped onto the light bulb. Okay, so it like had the little springy thing and it clipped. And the reason that's important is that I learned if I unscrewed that light bulb to the point where just one more half turn shut it off, I could leave it there and I could reach up and just tap my light shade and it would turn off my light. So if I heard my parents coming up the stairs or getting close to my door, I could tap the light shade, light goes off, parents don't know. But wait, it gets better. Then I started thinking, I have to turn the lampshade to shut the light off. They have to turn the doorknob to open my door. What if the doorknob could turn the lampshade? No joke. I hooked up dental floss from my lampshade across the room. I think I taped a thing of chapstick to the wall somehow, and it looped over that down to the doorknob. And I even got to the point where it didn't matter which way they turned it. Either way they turned my doorknob, it would turn my light and it would shut it off. One morning, my mom came into my bedroom and goes, what's all this? And I was like, I don't know. I was just playing. I'm not saying it lasted a long time because every night it was a bear to set up, but that's how scared of the dark I was. Now, and I just liked inventing stuff and tweaking it. Let's be very honest. It was a challenge and I enjoyed that part of it. But think about this. If I asked you how many of you have heard of a child that's scared of the dark, I would guess all of us. And maybe even we might say, yeah, that was me too. Have you ever heard of a child that was scared of the light? Like, what child is scared of the light? That doesn't happen. So I think we can understand what Jesus is talking about here with the light, but there's a degree to which we need to understand more. Because in Jesus' day, it wasn't just that the darkness was there and they needed light. It's that the light was hard to come by. 
There was no light switch. Do you know what they used to light their homes? He says no one lights a, uh, do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl? Now understand a lamp, again, that's not a little battery operated LED thing that you switch on. It's not even like one of what we think of with the little trimmable wicks and you just take out your match. It was like a bowl with oil in it and a wick hanging out. And they didn't have matches. So I, I tried to research this. They might have had some form of flint and steel. More than likely, they just kept a home fire burning and they had to find a twig or something and light the... This was not easy. You walk into a dark room and you go, I need light. This is hard. Could you imagine going to all that trouble, lighting that light, and then going, I'm just going to put this bowl right over it. Foolish, right? Also, a traveler at night. I worked at a camp. And you know, most night, the moon is out. And we would always get on the camper's case because they would turn on their flashlights to walk through the trails. Which is, just FYI, bad idea. When the moon is out, you can see so much better without a flashlight. Leave the flashlights off, you'll see better. But man, when the moon is not out, there were times you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. Now, if you were a traveler in that day, and you saw a city up on a hill, and there were just a few lamps on the gates, and you go, there it is, I'm almost there, because traveling was dangerous, traveling at night was even more dangerous. That light on a hill represented hope. That light had a purpose, and that purpose was to shine out in the darkness. With the illustration of salt, Jesus is saying the world tends to rot. With the illustration of light, Jesus is saying the world is really dark. We need to accept those truths about our world, but then we need to equally accept that we have a mission in that. Light expels darkness. It invades the darkness and brings light to it. It pushes it back. Christians who live as ambassadors of Christ's kingdom push back the darkness of sin in this world. We have a mission to do that. We have a purpose by being followers of Jesus Christ. To follow Christ, to trust him, to be saved by him, to live out his kingdom truths in this world means that we have a mission to be salt and light in a world that isn't going to like it. But this world needs us. And we need to be careful. The ultimate answer, the ultimate cure for the rotting meat is not the salt. It just delays it. Light might work a little bit different. But we are not the ultimate light of the world. The world needs something more. We need to be careful as Christians not to go too far in this and say, we're going to fix the world. We don't fix the world. Jesus fixed the world. We point people to Jesus Christ. But now we have to deal with the way Jesus talks about these two things. Because each of them, salt and light, he talks about them losing their purpose and how bad this is. For each one of them, he makes a point that this is ridiculous. One, it's kind of hidden. The other one's more obvious. You see, salt in its pure form, salt as salt, cannot actually lose its saltiness. It's impossible. Salt will always be salt. And it will always be salty. Salt doesn't actually go bad. Now, some of you may be saying, wait a minute, I'm a cook and my salt has a shelf life. We'll get to that. A city on a hill can't be covered up. 
That's Jesus's point. You're not going to put a bushel basket over a city on a hill. Sure, you might be able to do it to the lamp. Can't do it to the city. You can't cover that thing up. True salt and true light will have an impact on the world. True Christians living for the kingdom of Jesus Christ will have a good and positive impact on the world. Yet, as ridiculous as this loss of purpose is, and as Jesus, I think, is making a point of that, there is another point that he is making as well. There are times that salt and light do become useless. Now, pure salt cannot lose its saltiness. But we seldom actually have pure salt. Did you know that table salt is not pure salt? Table salt, and I did look this one up, it's good for about five years. And then it goes bad. It loses its saltiness. Why? Because they add stuff to it. And it's the stuff that's added to salt that causes it to lose its saltiness. There's mixtures that happen. And in their day, you can imagine, they seldom had pure salt they didn't have any way to like exactly purify it. So the salt was always kind of sort of mixed with stuff. And as it sat on the shelf, that stuff would mix together and the salt could leach away. And they might pick up something they thought was salt. It looked like salt and they went to use it and it was worthless. And what do they do with that? They do what they did with all of their trash. They would throw it in the street. That was the garbage dump of their day. Just throw it out in the street. People would trample on it, and that's how they would pave their road, so to speak. Now look at verse 15. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Salt went bad because something was added to it. What's added to the light here? It's kind of obvious. It's a bowl, (laughs) and it's dumb. You don't add a bowl to a light. like that. You don't do that. You don't hide the light. The purpose of the light is to shine. It completely defeats the purpose of the lamp to cover it. And it would be absolutely silly to cover up the lights of a city as a beacon to weary travelers. Jesus' point is that followers of him, true Jesus followers, will naturally be salt and light Unless, unless we allow other things to come in and invade what we believe or to cover it up. We must be very careful not to add to or mix up with other things with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's my concern. I think we do this all the time. We don't know that we're doing it. We mix the gospel with personal preference. And Jesus just becomes a way to make us happy. And the salt and the light are leached out of the gospel. We mix the gospel with health and wealth. And the gospel is just there to make me healthy or successful and to get what I want. And the light and the salt of the gospel is leached out. It's an election year. We mix our gospel with our politics. We put them hand to hand, and the salt and the light get leached out of the gospel. Now, please hear me. Politics should be and must be, as a Christian, part of living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must apply the gospel to everything we think, say, and do. And that should include our politics. 
But when we say that to be a Christian means we must support one political system or one particular party, we have added something to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no political system or political party in the world today that adequately embodies the gospel of Jesus Christ. There has never been and there never will be until Jesus Christ returns. Full stop. We should have convictions, but don't allow it to change the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be involved in politics as a way to be salt and light. Be involved in our community as a way to be salt and light. Be involved in our society as a way to be salt and light. Be involved in justice and and racial reconciliation as a way to be salt and light. But don't allow those things to change the gospel of Jesus Christ or we have removed the thing that can save the world in the first place. And the salt loses its saltiness. And the light gets hidden under a bowl. But Jesus adds one more statement to this passage. Specifically to light that I think really helps us to understand exactly what he's saying. He talks about our mission in Matthew chapter 5 verse 16. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We have a mission We are called to intentionally and outwardly live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christianity is not just a private belief. It is to be a public lifestyle. It must be. It is by its very nature outward focused as missionaries in this world. We need to purposefully live so that others can see the gospel at work in us. But, Jesus later on in this sermon, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, he provides an important caution. And it almost seems at odds with what he's saying here. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Matthew 6, verse 1 is a a turning point in this sermon because Matthew 5 that we're looking at now is all about living out the gospel. Living for the kingdom, being very public. But now he transitions in chapter 6, verse 1, to make sure that it's a heart issue, not just an outward righteousness issue. Is he contradicting himself? And I think Matthew 5, 16 helps us to see the difference and, and the caution that we need to hold on to. Matthew 5.16 says, In your same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. Yes. They see us and they see us living for Christ. But why? And glorify your Father in heaven. You see, self-righteousness says, I want you to see my good deeds and glorify me. Look how awesome I am. I'm a really great follower of Jesus Christ. And you, not so much. That's self-righteousness. God-righteousness says, look at the difference God has made in my life. And I want you to know him. Because I'm nothing except what God has made me to be. An interesting correlation here is that while we are salt and light in the world, the purpose is to display the glory of God. So what is it that ultimately invades the darkness and preserves the world? It's the glory of God. And what is the ultimate glory of God? The gospel of Jesus Christ. This world needs the gospel. So how do we live as salt and light. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is really all about. Every single verse in the Sermon on the Mount is about how to live 
as salt and light in this world. But we need to have the right starting point. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. He's not saying, man, you're really screwed up and you need to fix yourself up so you can live out light in the world. He's saying, no, you were darkness, but now you've been changed into something completely different. You've been changed and become light. How? The gospel of Jesus Christ. We cannot be the light and the salt in the world if we have not received Jesus as our own Savior first. It doesn't matter how good we live if Jesus is not our starting point. We don't create the light. We don't work for it. We live out what Christ has done in us. And what about you? Have you been changed by Christ? Have you been brought from darkness to life? Because I, I hope you're looking at this world and saying, man, somebody needs to do something about it. And the answer is, somebody did. Our God and Father sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to bring the dead to life, to bring darkness and change it into light, to take dirty, rotten sinners like me and like you and to give us new life, born again through Jesus Christ, new creation, that we can live again. And then He says, now live that out in this world so that others can see. Are you living it out in your life? Are you salt? Are you light? When people look at you and your life, are they seeing the glory of God? Or are they just seeing us and our complaining or our judgments? And if you're thinking about this and you're thinking, no, I don't think people are seeing the glory of God, the solution is not to just try that much harder. It's to draw that much closer to Jesus Christ. The more you know Jesus as your Savior the more you understand who He is and what He's created you to be and saved you to be, the more you will live it out in your life. Because that's the nature of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want to give you some homework. I want you to think about two things this week. Number one, how are you living out your faith? And I don't mean like grade yourself. I mean how, specifically, how are you living out your faith? What things are you doing to point to the glory of God in your life, in your workplace, in your home? What are you doing to demonstrate the glory of God? Second, is there anything that you have added to your faith that is causing it to lose purpose? Anything that is causing the salt of Christ in your life to become less salty? And to cause the light of Christ in your life to be covered up and diminished. And if you identify those things, what are you going to do to get them out? Talk to somebody. Call up a friend. Talk to me and say, man, I, I want to be salt. I want to be light. I'm struggling with these things. And guys, it's not easy. Darkness doesn't like the, like the light being turned on. Rotten meat doesn't like to be shown that it's rotten. But the world needs to see the glory of God. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Savior says, they need to see it in us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just like 
when your Son and our Savior preached this sermon, just like the time of the early church, just like the time of Noah, we live in a world that is rotten and dark. It has been true ever since Adam and Eve made that fateful decision. And it will be true until your Son and our Savior returns. But equally true is that you have not given up. You haven't given up on us. And you have a plan for the good of this world that involves us. And Father, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we will consistently understand that we are not worthy of that mission. But I pray that we would also have the courage and the information from your word and the confirmation of your spirit to know that you are worthy of that mission and you are able to use even us. Because in your son Jesus, we are those who were rotten and have been brought back to life. We are those who were darkness and have been turned into light. And now I pray, Father, may we reach out and live in such a way that pushes back the effects of sin in this world, that demonstrates your glory, that provides a space that people can ask good, hard, searching questions and we can point them to Jesus Christ as their ultimate answer. Father, we can't save this world. If we could, then Jesus would never have had to come. But Father, you have already provided the way of salvation and you have provided the way to carry that message to this world and it is by us living as salt and light. And I pray that people would look at us, the way we live, the way we interact, and they would see your glory at work and they would say, please tell me why you are the way you are. And we could tell them about Jesus Christ in whose name we pray.